Anyhow, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. Allow me to read this passage of Scripture to us as we continue our study in the ending parts of the book of Romans. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. But I have written uh, very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again the cause of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a, a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power and signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him saw him, and they who have not heard shall understand. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for the truth of your word. Lord, realizing that everything that we have is from you. Lord, the truth that we have here in our in the word of God Lord, they're here for us to live by, to understand, Lord, to practice. Lord, help us to understand what Paul is saying as he has given you all the honor and glory for what you've accomplished through his life. And Lord, may we do the same. Lord, may we see you work, your hand working in our lives. Lord, ministering one to another, reaching out with the love of Christ. And Lord, may we never take credit for anything that we do in your name, but always point to you and give you honor and glory. Lord, help us to be a church that is filled with goodness. Lord, filled with your knowledge and able to, to deal with uh, correcting one another whenever that need is there. But Lord, help us always be found faithful to you, allowing your Holy Spirit to be the guiding force in everything that we say and do. Lord, continue to guide us in our understanding of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we look at this passage found in Romans. We're kind of in the final uh, part of Romans. Paul is basically through with his teaching ministry to the people of Rome. But now he is kind of doing some, what I call closing remarks, but even in those he is still sharing some power, pretty powerful points. Uh, basically, when Paul began ministering, he saw a great need within the church of Rome. He saw that there was really a conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews still had that mentality that, that they had kind of earned their salvation, number one, by simply being children of Abraham and also by at least trying to keep the, the word of God, the, the laws of Moses. And so he spent most of uh, what basically chapters 1 through 11 dealing with the Jew, Jews, trying to help them to understand that the only way to have true salvation is through a surrendered life to Christ. Believing that Jesus and Jesus alone died for their sins. And that was the only way for their sins to be forgiven. And that by surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, they could receive salvation and eternal life. And then from there on, he basically spends the rest of the book dealing with the life of the church. Helping the members of that church to learn how to, to adjust to each other. 
Remember you have the Jews on one side and the uh, Gentiles on the other side meeting together. And we looked at how Paul kind of talked about the strong and the weak, the Jews and the Gentiles. They, they couldn't quite understand each other because they came from such different backgrounds. And he helped teach them to, to tolerate one another, first of all, because they were different. They did have different backgrounds. But also to see the kindred spirit that was there in Christ Jesus. And as they did that, they began to unite as one in Christ. And so then, basically, Paul starts to give praise to God. He understands that his entire ministry is a ministry of grace. He was saved by the grace of God on his uh, that road to Emmaus uh, uh, experience that he had, where God, through a miraculous thing, blinded him with light. Jesus spoke to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he fell on his knees, and he realized who this man was that was calling him. He was a Savior, Messiah. And he gave his life to Christ. For their own, his ministry was a ministry of grace, led by God, led by the Holy Spirit. And he was a man filled with grace, realizing that as much as he wanted to probably wring some necks, as much as he probably wanted to shake some people to try to get them to act right, All he could do was teach them the truth and let the Holy Spirit make the transformation in their lives. And even in this passage of Scripture, we see that Paul recognizes all three members, all three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as he's sharing about all the things that have happened through his ministry, I'll be honest with you, if I had gone through all that Paul had gone through and seen the results of a ministry... Do you know how hard it would be not to brag about it? Not to point fingers at myself and say, look at what I did. Paul does not do that. He points to Christ. He points to God. He points to the Holy Spirit as being the, the, the sole reason that anything has been accomplished. So he boasts and he brags about God and the work of the Spirit instead of bragging about what he has accomplished. And he kind of closes out by giving us a, another understanding of his vision of ministry. Paul is not through yet. He still has some years to go in his ministry. Uh, he is in Corinth right now writing this letter to, to Rome. He, is, he will then go to Jerusalem. He will be arrested, and then he will be later sent to Rome, not, not as a free man, but as a prisoner. But even then, his ministry will not be over. But he talks about that he will never build on another man's work. And we'll get to that as well. But we look at this and we see that Paul was simply a willing tool that God was able to use to bring many people to salvation. And the question is, are we anything like that? Now, let's just be honest. How many Pauls have there ever been in the history of the world? Not that many. There have been a few. God's not always calling us to be a Paul to go... Far, far, far away to travel the world, to preach the gospel. But he has called some to do that. But the question is, what are we doing in the Spirit of God? What are we allowing God to do in and through us? Whatever he does, let's make sure that we give him the honor and glory for what he accomplishes. Let's look at verse 14, and we're going to see some encouraging remarks from Paul towards the the church at Rome. He's giving instructions... uh, about the true salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. And then we see that he is 
taking some time to encourage them. I don't know of anybody that doesn't like a word of encouragement, to hear something good about themselves. And here's what Paul is doing. He says, Concerning you, my brethren, fellow Christians, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. That word full actually means overflowing with goodness. Now, that means that they're just kind, spirited, that they're good people. No, this is describing a spiritual goodness. They have been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God because it, He now lives and dwells within them. He is transforming them into the children of God that, that God wants them to be. And so these Christians in this church at Rome have been transformed by the love, by the Spirit of God. And now they are filled with His goodness. Godliness is really probably a better term for that. And then he goes on and says, You are also filled to overflowing with all knowledge. doesn't mean they know everything under the sun, but it does mean that they know the Word of God. Now, the Greeks and the Romans together were scholars. They loved to, to learn new things. Uh, they had libraries. They had forums where they would go and hear people share new concepts, new ideas. And so they were always wanting to hear new ideas. Well, when the, these people in Rome heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, they were curious. They came to listen. And then when they began to examine the evidence, they saw that there truly was evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, that he could save them from their sins. And so they accepted this truth, this knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then they had a hunger for more. And so that's one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter to full, give them more full understanding of who Jesus is, his saving power, and the way of salvation. And so they now had full knowledge. They were students of the Word of God. Uh, we, again, we know that some of the church at Rome were Jews, so they had the Old Testament Scriptures. I'm sure that the Gentiles probably used those to get a better understanding of the background of of where Jesus came out of. He came out of this Jewish culture. And so they had a full understanding or a knowledge of God through Christ. And then he says, and also able to admonish one another. That word admonish is not a word that we use a whole lot in our world today, but it really means to correct. It means to to deal with uh, something that's not quite right. Now, let's just be honest. We don't like to do that in the church, do we? We don't like to tell somebody they're doing something wrong. We're too easy just to kind of turn that blind eye and let it keep going. But when we do allow that to keep going, here's what typically happens. Others see that somebody can act up and and live a sin-filled life and get by with it. And they say, well, if they can live that way and they can live within the church and be accepted in the church, why can't I? And so we start setting weaker standards for the church. And so what Paul is seeing is that the church, the people in the church in, the, in, in Rome have elevated themselves maturity-wise, spiritual maturity, where they are confident enough to say, according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, what you're doing is wrong. And they're able to bring correction. They're able to bring guidance into the people's lives. We know that there were stronger, mature Christians and weaker Christians within this church. It's evident from the last couple of chapters. And so the stronger Christians, the the ones who were mature in their faith, felt confident enough 
in their relationship with the Lord to allow God through his spirit to use them to correct those who were weaker in the faith that were not living according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, according to the spirit of God. And so let's just be honest. You've you got to know that you have a right relationship with God before you start correcting somebody else. Otherwise, they're going to say, well, you're just such a hypocrite. You, you sin in your own life. You're, you're not living for the Lord either. So why are you telling me to straighten up? And so what we see here is that Paul actually saw a spiritual maturity in this church where they were able to deal with the weaker Christian, those who were not living according to the true will of God. And so what we're seeing here is that Paul is looking back upon this church in Rome where he had never visited. Now, he knows quite a few people in Rome. He knows quite a few people who are ministering there. He is probably getting regular feedback about how they're living, how they're ministering in the name of Christ. And he is seeing that they have truly matured to this level where they have this, they're full of goodness, they're full of knowledge, and they have this ability to admonish or correct each other, to even encourage one another. And then in verses 15 through 16, what we really see is Paul describing a ministry of grace. If you remember uh, when I was kind of doing just a little bit of an introduction, I said that everything about Paul's ministry deals with grace. As he was being saved, it was obviously a powerful gift of grace. Paul was not looking for Christ. He was persecuting the church. He He had a mission to go across the world and to arrest anybody who believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And he wanted to take them back and have them arrested, hopefully tortured, and maybe even executed. That was his goal in life. So it was definitely a powerful gift of God's grace to blind Paul and to draw him to salvation. But even then, a lot of people did not trust Paul because of his past and through just a handful of people like Barnabas, came alongside of Paul, encouraged him, and told others, you can trust this man. I've seen the hand of God upon his life. I know that the Spirit of God is upon him. Paul began a ministry of grace. And that ministry of grace was to go wherever God led him to share the simple gospel of Christ. No matter what it cost him, What we see is that Paul wasn't afraid of what it may cost him to to perform this ministry. He wasn't afraid of where God might send him. He went wherever God led him. There are a few times that Paul wanted to go some directions that God did not want him to go, but he was sensitive to the Spirit even then. And when the Spirit would not allow him to go in a direction, he would turn a little bit different, and the Spirit still would not allow him to go. And so he waited until the Spirit led him to where he needed to go. So Paul was definitely doing a ministry of grace. He even talked about signs that God used in his life. The Bible speaks about a few of these miracles, signs, and wonders that God used in Paul's life so that those who were hearing him preach would see the power of God, see the authority of God on his life. And there again, Paul never took credit. He never said, look at what I was able to do. He basically, every time, says, this is what God has done through me. 
So Paul was simply a tool that he was allowing God to use in order to fulfill this ministry grace. He says that he was a minister of Jesus Christ. We're going to see the Trinity in this passage. Verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So God the Son. Then he says, and a priest of the gospel of God, God the Father. And his work was sanctified by the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. In one verse, Paul shows the Trinity of God working in his life. He was first a minister of Jesus Christ. He was a priest. That's something we don't hear too often in the New Testament. But Paul saw himself as a priest that God was using for a purpose. He saw himself as as taking the people that God gave him, the Jews and the Gentile unbelievers, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and basically bringing them as an offering to God, saying, Lord, this is what you have used me to do. You have used me to share your gospel. Through your grace, they have received the gospel. Through your grace, they have received salvation. Now they belong to you, and here they are. I'm offering to you, offering them to you as if a priest was offering uh, something on, as a sacrifice on an altar. And so Paul saw himself as a priest, sacrificing, sanctifying people unto God. We don't use that kind of language anymore, do we? But did you know any time a, a, a person gives their life to Christ, that they are truly being sanctified. Sanctified means being set apart unto God, being made pure and holy so that they can live according to God's will. And if you had a part in leading that person to Christ, you're kind of like a Paul. You're, you're kind of being used as a priest to offer that person back to God and saying, Lord, here's what you've accomplished through me in sharing the gospel. And through your grace, they've accepted that gospel. They have been saved, and now they are yours, set apart for your ministry. And so Paul saw himself as an ambassador to the Gentiles, primarily as an apostle to the Gentiles. And yes, he did a, a lot of work with the Jews, but his biggest focus was on the Gentiles. As he went on his three primary missionary journeys, he primarily went into Gentile areas. However, every city and region town that he went to, had a Jewish population. They were the ones who tried to run him out of town, who would who would arrest him, have him beaten, stoned to death, all these different things. But what we see is that Paul did not worry about what it might cost him. Matter of fact, over in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verses twenty three through twenty seven, Paul just gives a little bit of a recap of all that he did suffer. It says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, Dangers in the wilderness, dangers of the sea, dangers among false believers. I have been in labor and hardship, though many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food 
in cold and exposure. That sounds like a fun life to live, doesn't it? Yet, that's what Paul dedicated his life to. It didn't matter what he went through physically, mentally, emotionally. He did it. He knew that God was able to use him in whatever ways that God desired. And so now in verses 17 through 19, what Paul's doing, he's boasting on God. He's bragging about what God has accomplished. So, first of all, we see that the things pertaining to God, look at verse 17. Therefore, if Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. He's not boasting about what I have done. He's boasting about the things that God has done pertaining to God. For I do not presume to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished these things through me. Again, I've done nothing. Christ, Jesus, has accomplished all these things through me. It is he that has worked, not me. And then he continues, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. By me simply being obedient to the call of God upon my life, being obedient to what God has called me to do, going wherever God has sent me, under whatever circumstances, situation I find myself, the result is that through God, the Gentiles have become obedient to the gospel of Christ. In the powers and the signs and wonders, in the powers of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have preached the gospel. Now, Jerusalem to Illyricum is basically the farthest extent that Paul traveled. Now, he traveled loops and loops and loops in between those two places. But Jerusalem was kind of the base place where he began his ministry. Then Illyricum was probably about the furthest place out uh, during his three missionary journeys. Now, I've done a little bit of research, and some scholars have actually tried to trace all of Paul's routes on his three different missionary journeys and tried to figure out how much did he cover how far did he travel? Now, a conservative estimate is that he walked 10,000 miles on those three missionary journeys. Now, if you could walk a straight line from Macon, Mississippi, you would end up in Australia. Now, folks, that's what God called Paul to do. He didn't walk a straight line. He didn't walk across oceans. He did sail across some seas and oceans. But God called Paul to minister to the lost, to the people who had not heard the gospel of Christ. And in the course of his years, he traveled some 10,000 miles. And yet, how many of us aren't even willing to walk across the street or across town to minister in the name of Christ? I think that's really, in my, my opinion, what speaks to me the most in this passage. And it's not blatantly there. It just simply says that he had traveled from this extent to this extent and through just a little research realized that his travels cover about 10,000 miles. Now, folks, he didn't have a car. He didn't have a train. He did use a boat from time to time, but the large majority of that was walking on foot. Can you imagine doing that? Did he complain about it? 
Never. It was what God had called him to do. If God called him to do it, then God would provide him the strength and the ability to do it. And all Paul was doing was saying, Yes, Lord, I will obey. I will go wherever you want me to go. I will minister to whoever you want me to minister to in your name, in your power, for your honor, for your glory. And because Paul dedicated himself totally to the Lord, surrendered to the Lord, God had this amazing tool to use to bring men, women, young people to Christ. There are no telling how many lives truly were touched through the ministry of Paul. We know, as we can go through all the missionary journeys that we found in Acts as we were studying that book, all the little towns and the cities and the regions that he went through, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Every time he would go, a church basically would be developed, and he would spend time to develop leaders within that church so that as he left, the church could continue to, to grow and to thrive in the spirit of the Lord. But just because one man was willing to go wherever God sent him, the church, the church age, came into being. And so we look, and Paul is doing nothing but boasting on what God is doing in and through his life. We look and we see that, what does this say? Paul was tireless. How fatigued he got from walking from town to town, city to city, region to region, 10,000 miles, along the way getting beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and all the other things that he went through, how physically worn out he probably was, yet he kept on going, tirelessly ministering in the name of Christ. And that it didn't matter, did not matter where he was. He knew that God had led him there, that it was the Spirit of God, the power of God, the grace of God that was going to use him. See, Paul never walked into an area and said, I know something that I need to tell you, and it's from me. He always said, God has a message for you through his Spirit. I'm just a simple mouthpiece. I'm just a simple tool for God to use. So what we see is that this vast territory that Paul covered, He covered for one reason. And we find it in verse 20. Because the gospel had not been there yet. Verse 20 says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now, in that time, the known world was primarily controlled by the Roman Empire. There were Jews within the Roman Empire, but even the Jews had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And so basically anywhere that Paul would go would probably not have heard of the gospel of Christ. And so he had a wide open world to go. But one thing that Paul did not do is he did not work where another apostle of God had been working. If you, were, if you were with us on Wednesday nights, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, I actually preached through or shared about the lives of all the apostles. And after Acts, there's basically extra biblical information that kind of gives us an, an idea of where some of these men went to minister. 
Some of them, you know, stayed in Jerusalem in that vicinity. Others went in various different directions all around uh, Asia Minor and the Roman Empire, and they began ministering to the Jews and Gentiles in different areas. But one thing Paul would refuse to do, if somebody else was already working in another, if Peter was over here, if Apollos was there, if if John was here, if if James was there, he would not go to where they were already ministering. He did not want, number one, to step on anybody else's ministry, to come in and say, well, you were doing pretty good until I showed up, now it's great. He didn't want anybody to say, well, Paul is really the one making a difference here. He didn't want any clashes. He did not want to say, you know, you're not doing it quite the way I would do it, so let me, let me in, let me take care of it, let me just take control. Paul would not do that. He never went where another person was already ministering. What we see is that Paul basically says, I want to go where the gospel has not yet been preached. Now, we ask ourselves, where is that today? Well, there are unfortunately quite a few areas in our world today. Uh, There's called the 1040 window, which is the uh, parallels uh, across the world where mainly Muslim countries are found, where the gospel still truly has not been proclaimed. But... Folks, you don't have to go there. Did you know that in Macon, Mississippi, there are a lot of people that don't know the Word of God? I've shared with Patrick and Jeff, uh, missionaries who are working in our community. When these young children come to the Life Center and they start sharing simple Bible stories, they will ask questions that... Just about any child of God, any anybody who's ever been in church as a child would know. And they are clueless. They don't know who Adam and Eve is. They don't know who Noah is. They don't know any of the biblical characters. Here in Macon, Mississippi, we have generations that don't know the Word of God. They don't know Christ. They don't know the gospel. So you don't have to go to some Muslim country to proclaim the gospel. It's right here. And it's in Starkville, it's in Columbus, it's in every state of our union. You don't have to go anywhere but where you are right now. God basically says, you're right where I need you. Just let me use you. There's a, a book that, uh, or uh, a man who developed a study. His name is Henry Blackaby, and the study that he developed was Experiencing God. Any of y'all gone through the Experiencing God uh, book? I don't see hands, but anyhow, this was, I guess, a couple of decades ago, a very popular study in most churches. And one of the single most quoted things that he said in that book was, see where God is at work and join him there. In other words, if you see God working, then join that activity and be used by God there. Well, according to Paul's ministry, he did exactly the opposite of that. He made sure he wasn't where God was already working, and he began ministering where God was not working. Did you know both ministries were fine? There's nothing wrong with either one. Many times we need to work together as teams to accomplish the the will of God. But other times, God can use us just as we are right where we are, if we're just simply willing to allow him to work in and through our lives for his honor and glory. So what I see a trend, though, is that a lot of church, a lot of 
people like to go to larger churches, sometimes what we call mega church, and they like to just kind of fade into the background. They're there, they're hearing the word of God, but if there's if there's a thousand other people, then probably I won't get asked to do anything. I sure won't have to volunteer. I think there's a mindset in our world today among Christians. Let me just sit on the sidelines. Let me hide in the background. I can pray for people. I can, I'll be, I'll be a faithful attender. Don't ask me to do anything. That's not what God has ever called anybody to do. Yes, we need prayer warriors, but we need people who are actively involved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that whatever God places on our heart, whoever is in our neighborhood that needs Christ, we are the only source for them to hear it. Yes, God could have a megaphone and just start shouting down from heaven about his son Jesus, but he doesn't choose to do that. He's chosen to call us as his children to be his ministers in our communities and in the world around us. So we need to be open and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us just like Paul did. Maybe we will get by without being persecuted, beaten, stoned, and all that, but maybe not. If we do face persecution, if somebody laughs at us, if somebody cusses us out, if somebody strikes us, did you know we're in pretty good company? And God will still get the honor and the glory through it all. But here, I've talked to many people. I've never really felt animosity. Many people are open to hearing about Christ. A lot of people have a background of church. A lot of them will claim that they're a member of some church, even though they haven't darkened the doors in many years. But the problem is, over the generations, we've gone from generations where the large majority of the church, I mean, of the families were actively involved in the church, they were faithful to the church, and then there came a time where people started waning from the church. Church just was not that important to them. They would go on the special days. They would go when it's convenient to them. But then they raised another generation of children that saw their parents not putting much emphasis on the church. And so the children grew up into another generation where the church was not important hardly at all. They may show up at Christmas and Easter for a special program or if a Somebody came into town and said, let's go to church. Well, okay. Now we have a generation that has nothing to do with the church. They're not interested. The world has taught them that there is no God, that it's just them, that you're going to live and you're going to die, and that's going to be it. There is no eternity. There's no heaven. There's no hell. That's where our world is today. We call it a post-Christian Society, and that's really where we are today. The church doesn't matter anymore. Folks, that's where we're living today. You and I and the other faithful Christians in Knoxville County are the only hope that this community has. We're it. Are we going to learn a lesson from Paul and say it doesn't matter? what the cost it doesn't matter 
what persecution I may face. Lord, through your power, through your grace, through your love, I'm willing to be used for your honor, for your glory. I see Paul closing this book with a plea. I've set an example, and Heliop actually says that. I've set an example for you to follow. Are you willing to follow it? I don't think anybody's going to walk 10,000 miles to fulfill a ministry that God's called them to do. But how far are you willing to go? Across the street, across town. You know, Alabama's not that far from here to another state. Maybe God is wanting you to go somewhere far off where you might have to get on a plane or get in a car to go. God's the only one that can show you the way. But we've got to be surrendered. We've got to be sensitive. We've got to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Let's bow together and pray. Lord, as we hear this message about Paul and his life, his commitment, his surrendered life, Lord, it makes us wonder, have you taken your hand off of people where there is no longer a call upon their lives to serve you? Or that there's no evidence of that. But Lord, the evidence is that we just don't seem to care that you do still call people. Lord, help us to realize that we may be the only opportunity, the only, the only source of the gospel that people in this community will ever hear, will ever experience, will ever be exposed to. Help us, Lord, just to be found faithful, to allow your Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us the words to understand that you called us to share these simple truths. Lord, it may simply be to invite somebody to church. It may to be ministering to them at a time of need and sharing that it's the love of Christ that sent us there. It may simply say, I want to share my testimony of how God changed my life and transformed me and see if anything like this has ever happened to you. If not, let me share just a few verses of Scripture that help you to understand how you too can experience what I've experienced or whatever it is. Help us to be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.